Psalm 81. Psalm 81, 13 through 16. Psalm 81, 13 through 16. May the Lord help me do this, and may it help you. That is my whole desire that somehow this could help you grow in the Lord. As I read here in verse 13, I'll pick it up. Oh, that my people had hearkened unto me, and Israel had walked in my ways. That's God's heart. That's God's heart for you. That's God's heart for me. What would have happened? What would happen if you would obey verse or fulfill, if I may say, verse 13? Well, 14, 15, and 16 basically lists out some of the things that God wants to do for those who love Him. I should soon have subdued their enemies. I think this is apropos to where we're living right now. Christians have realized maybe this year more than any other year that we have some enemies. And we have enemies that want to eliminate what we do and what we believe and our influence. And God says, if all that my people hearkened unto me, in this case Israel had walked in my ways, I should soon have subdued their enemies Number one. Number two, turn my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord should have submitted themselves unto him, but their time should have endured forever. He should have fed them also with the finest of the wheat. That's the people who love him want to do his will. And with the honey out of the rock should I have satisfied thee. Father, come, I pray, in the name of Jesus for the few minutes we have together. Please work through this earthen vessel, overcome every resistance, break the back of the forces of darkness, and may righteousness shine forth. In Jesus' name, amen. Too many times in life we let something stop us just before the victory comes. I heard of a true story, by the way, of a church in the middle of our country who was getting ready to build a large auditorium. It was the largest project they had ever attempted as a church. The building committee met together. Most of you know how this works. You get the deacons and some other people uh, that have some experience in building, and wise men of the church get together and figure out you know, how, who the architect's going to be and what the layout's going to be, what the costs are going to be. And they usually will bring that then to the church and vote on it, what they're here to do. And they met together and began to discuss some of the details of this new auditorium. Uh, one of the pressing things on their mind was, how are you going to pay for it? I mean, right, I mean, how are you going to pay for this auditorium? By the way, we've done that here at the Gospel. In about 1998, we began to contemplate building this auditorium. It was the largest product, project we ever, ever attempted like three times larger than anything we'd attempted. And these people were doing the same thing. Um, how were they going to pay for the project? It was hundreds of thousands of dollars. One man in the committee proposed that they would just go by faith and determine to just pay as they go and see how God would supply the money. In other words, build if you have the money, but don't build if you don't have it. And see if God's people would be willing to do it. 
And that was, uh, you know, discussed around in the meeting. The building committee, however, made a decision to go to the local bank and finance the entire project rather than going by faith and collecting from God's people as they were willing to give and pay as they went. And that's, by the way, maybe more common, much more common, the way, the way churches go, than to go to the finance company. When we were building this building, I had a bank stopping by giving me mugs. I got a lot of free mugs. They would come by and give me a free mug and, and say, uh, we'd love to loan you money. We'll balloon it. If you people know finance, we'll balloon it at 3%. This one's 3%. Now, now it's cheaper than that, okay? But this is when people were pretty much at 8%. And they said, because your church, you know, we like what's going on. We'll, get, we'll loan you the, the whole thing for 3%, and it'll be ballooned. And in about 15 years from now, when more people have come and everything, you'll be able to, the rate will change, and you pay it off. And we determined as a committee and as a church to trust God and pay as we went, because we were going to do it. I, I, would, go to, I would go to my bedroom oftentimes where I do a lot of praying, uh, the guest bedroom of my house. And I shut the door. Because the Bible says when you pray, go into a closet, shut the door. I go in and shut the door, and I can say, God, I'm going to be the biggest fool this side of the Pecos if you don't come through. Because I've talked these men into pain as we go, and I've told them how great you are, and I've told them that you're the God that owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and that you don't have any trouble paying for, this was $750,000. And, Lord, if you don't do what I said, uh, they're going to know that I don't have a clue who you are and what you, what you are, and they're going to probably throw me out, which I would too. Please. So dur during the, about a year or so that we built this building, I, I prayed a lot. I got on my knees and said, like, we got a bill for the uh, drywall, $115,000 for the drywall. And uh, the, uh, Bill Davis was the finance guy then. Now, he's in heaven now. But Bill Davis came to me, and he said, we don't have a dime. I said, I told you guys not to, not to tell the contractors to work until the money came in. Well, I said, you know, things got away from us, and, you know, the contractor wanted to come in, so we let him come in. I said, but he's done all these work now, and, and, and he's, he wants his money. He said, I know, preacher. That's why I came to you. I said, we don't have a dime. We had never collected $115,000 in a month period of time for the building at that point. And I'll never forget, uh, Bill Davis, at the end of the service, he almost ran down the aisle to me. Um, and he said, preacher, this morning we got $160,000 came in. Well, brother. That'd make a Presbyterian shout. I said, what? There is a God. He said, preacher, you're supposed to believe that. I know. And God did that all the way. Well, this committee, they made a decision to go ahead and finance, not to walk by faith. The bottom line was, later it was discovered by a very select few in that committee, that there was a man in that committee that was prepared 
to underwrite the whole building cost had they decided to trust God and walk by faith. They gave up just before the blessing came. They gave up just before the blessing. Don't you do that. There was a young man, his name is, I'm going to say his first name. He's not here, not being here, it's just a while back. His name was Larry. He decided to go to a college. And about, you know, college is expensive. And he decided to, he believed God called him into the ministry, decided to go to Christian school, go to college. So I said, Larry, you can do it. Yeah, preacher, but I got no money. That's the first thing people tell me is the obstacles. Don't concentrate on the obstacles. Concentrate on the God of the obstacles. Concentrate on the, on the one who can overcome them. They're not even obstacles. The devil comes by and throws stuff up in front of you, you're, and you get scared, and you begin to worry. Stop! It's a waste of energy. I serve a living Savior. He's in the world today. And so I told Larry, you know, man, don't worry about the money. Just work, put your head down, go to school. He went the first semester. During the semester, I'd call him, how you doing, Larry? Good, good, doing good, but where's the money? I don't know. I got a bill. I got a bill for a 1000 bucks. I said, don't worry about the money, Larry. Just accrue the bill. The bill will accrue, and you just keep working and just trust God. There's a God, Larry. He's going to help you. He's a preacher. I'm his preacher. I'm telling him, look, it's going to work out. It's going to work out. And, and Larry got progressively more worried as time went on. As, as you come to the end of the semester, you know, they want you to pay the bill before you go to the next semester, right? Well, here's what Larry didn't know. In the deacons meeting we had before he ever went to school, the deacons liked Larry. They liked him. They liked his spirit. They liked who he was. They liked his willingness to go to school. And uh, they, we committed as a deacon board to pay his tuition in full before he went. But we may also made an agreement we weren't going to tell him. We were going to ask him to walk by faith and trust God because we didn't want the credit. We wanted God to have the credit. And we said, if Larry will walk by faith and trust God, at the end of the semester, we're going to pay his bill. And we're going to pay his next semester. We're going to pay his way. We're going to help him through. He was working. He was making some money and contributing towards it. And so Larry came down to the End of the semester, I drove all the way up to Greenville, where he was, and I met with him, ate with him, bought him a meal, and said, Larry, now, come to the end of the semester here, you just got to hang in there, man. You just got to trust God. I'm your preacher. I'm telling you, trust God. Larry, believe me. Believe me, Larry. I'm talking to this. That's dead. Believe me, Larry. And he, I could tell. I saw fear in his eyes. I saw doubt. Preacher, man, I'm going to owe $4,000, and I don't have a dime of that money. How in the world am I going to I said, God's going to take care of you, Larry. Trust him. He said, Preacher, it's hard. I got a phone call. The semester ended. And Larry said, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. I said, Larry, don't come home. Stay there. Go to school. Yeah, but I just got a bill for 4000 bucks. I, 
I said, do you believe God? Do you believe there's a God who can do things that you don't know about? He can do miraculous things. Now, remember what I know. Larry came home. Larry came home. He gave up just before the blessing came. God can't do anything through someone who doesn't believe him. God can't work without faith. He won't work without faith. Remember when he came into his hometown in the, in, in the Gospels? He came into his hometown. The Bible says he could not do many miracles among them because of their unbelief. You remember all that? And we're talking to God who created all that is. We're talking about Jesus who had no limit on what he could do. There was no limit on what, man, what he could do because he was God manifest in the flesh. And so he could have healed their sick and cast their demons out like he did at other places in it. And the Bible says he went into some villages and he healed all that were sick and he cast out all the demons that were there. He could have done that in his hometown, but his hometown restricted him from doing that. What restricted God? What could possibly restrict God? Unbelief. Unbelief. You know what they said about Jesus? Now we know his family. We know his mom, his dad his brothers, his sisters, and he did have brothers and sisters, real half-brothers and sisters. And we know his family. And because of that, they said, surely, who is he? Who's he making himself out to be? And they didn't believe that he could do miracles. They didn't believe he could heal the sick. They didn't believe he could cast out the demons. They didn't believe him. And God is hindered by your unbelief. You want, to, you, want, you want to see very, you know, there's people who come to me and say, I don't believe there's a God. They said it. Believe. No faith. Without faith, you'll not be able to touch God, and he will not be able to touch you. Without faith, it's impossible to please him in Hebrews 11. You have to have faith. We give up just before the blessings come. I got, read an a, uh, interesting story of an explorer. That, his name was Nason, Nansen, excuse me, who was lost, and one, he had one companion with him. He was lost in the Arctic. He miscalculated, both of them miscalculated, and ran out of all their supplies. They ate their dogs. They ate the dogs' harnesses. They, they drank and, and all the whale oil they had for their lamps. Now, that's hungry. That's pretty hungry when you're starting to do all that. Nansen's companion gave up and laid down and died. Gave up. But Nansen did not give up. He told himself, I can take one more step. Just one more step. Just one more step. And boy, I can't tell you the wisdom of that. Life will bring you down to the place where all you can do is take one more step. But can you take one more step? You can. You don't have to be like Nansen's companion who said, I can't do it. Lack of faith. And he laid down and he died. Well, the story goes, Nansen kept walking. Pretty soon he crested a hill and just in front of him was a rescue party that had been sent out to find him and he was saved. The one gave up before the answer came, the other did not. What will God in life, when it's all over, say about you? What will God say about you? Will he say 
Psalm 81, 13, Oh, that my people hearkened unto me, and Israel walked in my ways. Or let's put your name in there instead of Israel and my people. What will he say? Or will you say, Proverbs 5, 11, and 12, it says, And thou shalt mourn at the last when thy flesh and thy body are consumed, and say, How I have hated instruction, and my heart despised reproof. What will you say at the end of your life? That you believed God and it was counted unto you for righteousness? And remember, believe isn't just some mystical philosophy. Belief translates to action or it's not true belief. You with me on that? Belief must translate to action or it's not true belief. Belief isn't just like, I believe and that has no effect on me but I got this mental thing, or I believe. That's just a ghost. Biblical belief changes things. Just like if had his hometown believed that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus could have gone in there and healed the sick, maybe even raised the dead. But because of their lack of belief, he couldn't do it. Belief has action. Unbelief has consequences. Action. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and as the, the Christ, the Son of the living God and the Savior, it'll change your life. It has to change your life. It has to. The people out there that say, I'm saved, and there's nothing different, and there's nothing changed, and it doesn't grip them. They have this mystical ghost faith. They have a ghost faith. There's no substance to it. But the people like, like Xavier, when he got saved 16 years old, it changed where he went and what he did and how he talked and what he looked like. And it kept changing him. It, it, he got the burden to go to Bolivia. They didn't even want you down there. He went, got the burden to go to Bolivia, take his little new bride to Bolivia. It was 12,000 feet where he lived, 14,000 where the airport's at. And spend in La Paz, 10 years or so in La Paz, isn't it more? Wow. Changed him. How is, how is Christianity, how is Christ changing you? Look at yourself. The Bible says prove yourself. Examine yourself. See if you're in the faith. A lot of people say, well, preacher, I just don't have the gifts. I just don't have much going for me. Well, I'm going to give you a few things you do have going for you before we leave here. Things that I believe everybody and anybody can do. When I started, I went to Bob Jones University in 1970. It was it's a good school back then, solid, solid place. I started in 1970, and I had a wife and a kid, as I mentioned. There were a 1,000 freshmen in my class. Most all of those freshmen had high expectations of success. They seemed confident of that they could do it, but I had no confidence, brother. I had no confidence. My main subject in high school was girls. I should have paid attention to English a little more, and I should have paid attention to some of the other subjects, you know what I'm saying? I was just trying to get a piece of paper instead of graduating from high school because I was never, never, ever going to college. Never, ever, ever. Nobody in our family went to college. We had, a, we had an anti-college family. 
And when I got saved, 18 years old, I got right with God. Again, that faith, faith has consequences. Faith moves you. The Holy Spirit came by, touched my shoulder, and said, I want you to go to this school called Bob Jones University. Now, I'll go anywhere but there. That place makes you get up 7 a.m., put your feet in the floor, makes you go to bed 11 o'clock, makes you make your bed, makes you clean the sink of all the hair in it, makes you have room check every day. You get to marriage, stand before D.C. committee like a little kid. Man, I didn't want to do that. He said, uh, you saved, you love me? Yeah, I love you, Lord. Do it. So I went. I didn't feel I had the mental uh, you know, capacity to do well. They were high academic standards. I went to class. Man, oh, man, some of that sounds like uh, foreign language to me. I mean, English. I took English grammar the first semester. English grammar. I mean, I was so bad, they put me in the dum-dum class. They put me in the, in the, uh, in, in the, the mentally uh, limited, educably slow class and started me out with, this is a noun, this is a verb, and on and on it went, it got worse as it went on. And there were so many more, there were so many smarter people than me there. I was surrounded by them. And many had better memories than I had. They just had so much, they could, they listened to it, they got it, not me. I had to listen to it, had to write it down, had to go over it, had to write it down again, had to carry little cards with me, had to review the cards. You know, I had these little rings, I had these rings with these holes in it, with these cards, just big rings of stuff that I had to go back over and back over and back over and back over. They had all kinds of things going for them that I didn't have. But I determined there were a few things that I could do no matter what. By the grace of God, I'm going to share those three things with you. Three things that anybody can do for God. People come to me, I can't teach, I can't sing. And by the way, I agree with some of that. I have never asked Tom Gillespie to come up here and sing because I don't want him to sing. How do I know? I've stood beside him. I love you, Tom. I want to be in heaven when you get to sing. I really do. I really do. Because I probably won't be able to sing for all eternity, you know. I don't sing very well, but at least. But anyways, um, I, there are three things I could do. I figured in college I could do. First of all, I could outwork them. Now, these people were smarter than me, more gifted than me, most of them. But I figured, you know what? I can outwork them. Uh, there was nothing stopping me from working. I could sleep less than they did, and I did. I could study more than they did, and I surely did. I could be more careful in class at listening to what the professor was saying, and I was. I could take more thorough notes than they did, because some of them took no notes. They were relying on their good memory. I could, how you like this one? I could stay awake. Some of, these, some of these kids coming to school, mom and daddy paying their way. I was paying my own way, working floor covering, you know, 30 hours a week, going to school the rest of the time on my knee. You know, my money was very little and very slow coming. And when I paid that tuition bill, it was a lot to me. When I went to class, I stayed awake. I wanted to absorb everything that professor was telling me because it was costing me blood and sweat and tears. And I'd see these privileged kids 
Oh, they'd be sleeping, you know. Even to the place where professors would stop and say, hey, wake up. I think, why in the world would they be sleeping? Why are they here? Why would you even come to church and sleep? (laughs) You didn't see that coming, did you? I know. I could ask the teacher to explain himself and ask questions in class more than they would do. I could even, because our professors were so good, they'd say, here's my phone number. If you got any trouble, you can call me, and, I, and you can come over in the house, and I'll help you explain it. I took math analysis, and I'm going to tell you, I got to know that teacher way better than I wanted to. And I would call that teacher and say, this stuff is not calculating. This is like probability, mathematical probabilities and things. What in the world? And so math theory, and I would be like, I just isn't clicking. It's not going in. It's not going in. So I'd go over to the teacher's house, and she'd, there was a woman. She'd go through it with me, and they'd say, okay, I got it. A week later, I didn't have it. i go back, and i say, I don't have it. i got to help. I mean, I don't. She was just never got impatient with me. But I figure, you know, none of those kids in the class may have to do this, but i got to do this. I could outwork them. I got an A in math analysis. In fact, I got an A in almost everything. I didn't get straight A's, but I had about 3.65 average. which was a little over B-plus average in college. My graduate work, I got straight A's. And it wasn't because I was smart. You don't have to be around me long to know that. It was because... I could do something that everybody could do. I could work. Work's not a four-letter word, brother. Work's a blessing. You can you may say, I don't sing, I don't teach well, I don't what can I do for God? You can work. You can grab one of them bus routes and say, I'm gonna make that neighborhood my parsonage and I'm gonna be their pastor. And that's exactly what those boys do, do the bus man. You can go door to door and walk with us. It was hot yesterday, brother. It was hot. I didn't see you sweating, by the way. Don't you sweat? I was soaked, brother. I was soaked front to back, top to bottom, soaked. I got short of breath a couple of them places. Well, you're 45, I'm 68. That's probably the difference. But you can work. I like the song, I'll work till Jesus comes. I'll work, I'll work till Jesus comes. I'll work till Jesus comes and I'll be carried on. I think that's the words, but I, again, I probably made up a few of them. It sounds right. You can outwork them by the grace of God. Brother, as a born-again child of God, you can work for God. There's no limitation you can work for God. He's not telling you you can't do it. You can do it. You know what reading your Bible is? Work. You know why people don't read their Bible? Lazy. You didn't see that coming, did you? You thought the application for this won't even bother me today. I'm going to be good. The reason you don't read your Bible is not because you don't understand it. Because you don't. You'll never understand it if you don't read it. Have you ever read a manual to put together a, uh, uh, a, a outdoor cooker? It's about that thick. 
I mean, there are 200 parts you lay out on the ground. And you say, how in the world? You read that thing and reread that thing and reread that thing and reread that thing, and finally it makes sense to you. After you go through it four or five times, you put this part on that. By the way, if you don't assemble it in order they tell you to assemble it, you're going to get down the last few parts, and, oh, you got to disassemble half of that to put that part on. How do I know that? If they ever offer to assemble something for you at Lowe's or Home Depot, and they whatever they charge, you say, yes, please assemble it. But you can know the Bible. Can you know the Bible as well as I know the Bible? You can. How well do I know the Bible? I don't know. But however I do know the Bible, I know you can know the Bible. And some of you are smarter than I am. Some of you are are more brilliant than I am. I'm not brilliant at all, but you're, you're brilliant, and I'm not. Some of you uh, have a great retention of memory, and I don't. I have to work at keeping stuff. But that's the key word, isn't it? Don't come to me and say, Preacher, I didn't finish my Bible this year. You can, don't tell me. I pray for you to do it. God bless you if you do. Sign up, give it a shot. But let me say this. The reason you don't do it is because you don't. But you can do it. Now, look, someday you're going to stand before Jesus. The judgment seat of Christ is laid clearly out in the Bible. All the things that matter are going to be laid in one pile. All the things that didn't matter are going to be laid in another pile. In the fire of God's judgment, all that's going to be left are the things that matter. I can tell you, reading your Bible matters. A lot of what we do won't matter. What we own, all this other stuff, if it ain't for Jesus, you know, it's not gonna it's not gonna be there. But you can read the book. I mean, listen, you can listen. Some of you can't read well, and I understand that. Hey, I you can't read well, you can't read long. I get it, I get it. But you can listen to the Bible. Alexander Scorby. When I go to heaven, I'm gonna expect to hear God talk like Alexander Scorby. The second thing I I decided I could do, I could outpray him. I could outpray him. I could make a better prayer list than they made. And I got my prayer list, brother. I could spend more time praying over that prayer list than they did. I could beg God more earnestly than they were begging him. I believed I could out-pray them. I used to go, I lived 20 minutes from the school, and I had this, uh, these cards, these index cards. with little, when I, Back then I could see, and I had little, small little writing on there, all these prayer requests, you know, and ring down, and I said, and I would go through that card, and I'd wear that card out. The card would get old, you know, I guess worn, and pretty soon you're flipping it over, and you're doing another card. I figured I could pray. Can you pray today? You said, preacher, I can't pray. Yes, you can. You can outwork them. You can outpray them. And thirdly, thirdly, I can outlast them. I went to college. I knew that it wasn't going to be no four-year deal. It wasn't going to be. I gave it up. And I would see that. I would start. My freshman class started in 1970. They graduated in 1974. I would go and watch their graduation, right? I'd watch them march. These are people I was with, people I knew. They graduated. They went on. Not Billy. Billy's still sophomore. I was, a, I was a freshman two years, sophomore two years, junior probably a year or half, and finally the senior year, you know. Seven years it took to do four years. 
I always say I crammed four years into seven. It felt like it. It felt like it. And I would go home so discouraged. I don't know if you ever get discouraged. I get so discouraged sometimes. I'd drive in that van and I'd be, Lord Jesus. Am I ever going to graduate? It seems so long. Am I ever going to graduate? I'm doing your will. I want to do your will because faith produces action, produces results. And Lord, I can have faith. I believe, help thou my unbelief. And I'd march on. One, I'd like that Nansen, one foot in front of the other, brother. A lot of times I just got one foot in front of the other. And then I'd go, you know, another semester, I'd run out of money, and I'd have to work a year or so, or a year to make the money to go back. That's why it took seven years. And then I it was pay as we go. I paid as I went. And so I'll never forget. Walking across the stage, get my diploma. Some of them boys, some of them, some of them boys and girls who you know, mom and dad paid it for them, and they were smart, and they went through in four years. They walk across, you know, casually, kind of lackluster. They get their diploma. That's not the way I got my diploma, buddy. When I got to walk up on that stage. And I got to walk across there, and they, t- they called my name out. There's a God in heaven who can do miracles through the least people. And Paul said, I can do all things through Christ that strengtheneth me. I have a little bit of understanding what he meant. Quit living in unbelief, and live in faith. You can outwork them. You can outpray them. You can outlast them. I used to say to God, if I'm 30 years old and I walk across this stage, I'll be 30 years old. What made me feel good is one time, once in a while we'd get some old-timer that would retire from their job, and they'd go to college, and they'd get your bachelor's degree, and they'd walk across the states. I got to know those guys. One of them was 65 years old. He was an old boy. And he said, I always wanted to get a college degree. I always wanted to get one, but I worked in a certain job, you know, for all my life and finally retired. And I, I, went to, I thought, can I do this? I'm 61 years old. The boy, the man did it in four years, guys are green. I sat beside him. I says, 
You got your degree, but you're too old to use it? He said, it's not about using it. It's about doing it. I thought, wow. I don't feel too bad. I'm 27. I graduated at 27. I was the oldest one there, practically, beside guys like that. Most graduates, 22 years old. 27 years old, I walked across there. But that's not the end of the story of faith. That excited me so much. And God came by another day and he tapped me on the shoulder and he says, I want you to get your master's degree. I said, hello. I couldn't question him because I believe, I believe that God can do anything. And I went and got my master's degree. It was one of the hardest studying I ever did in my whole life. Master's program is twice as hard as, as a bachelor's program. The biggest fear I had was he was going to say, now I want you to get your doctorate. He never did. But I had a college not long ago give me one. That was the easiest I ever got it. Don't live in unbelief. Live in faith. Oh, had my people hearkened unto me. Psalm 81. Had he hearkened to me, I would have been able to do so many great things through him. But they limited me. And all this good I wanted to do them because they had no faith. Don't you be a child of no faith. Be a child of faith. Help us, Father. Oh, help us. Use these simple, simple truths to shake some people. Help us. Forgive us where we've blamed everything but ourselves. Help us to have faith. Father, you'll give it to us if we want it. You'll give it to us. We ask, we will receive. We thirst, we will find ourselves to be able to have a drink. If we hunger, we'll be satisfied. Come to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.